Welcome to the Tom the Trainer Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Wooland. This podcast is for frustrated men and women who think they've tried everything to lose body fat and aren't willing to give up on their fitness goals. I'm going to give you clear, actionable steps to cut through all the bullshit in the industry, focus on what actually works, and dominate every aspect of your life. Now let's get into today's episode. So today is a live Q&A, January 24th, and we're doing a live Q&A from my free Facebook group, Tom the Trainer's Tribe. Um, if you want to join Tom, the trainer's tribe, and you're listening to this on the podcast, the link is going to be in the description of this episode. So come join the tribe, get your questions answered, literally just a form of like free coaching. Um, this is my way to give back to my community and help people out as much as I can. Brian is asking about correcting a muscle imbalance between his left and right bicep. Um, I did go into this in depth on another podcast episode. I wish I could remember which one it was, but so (laughs) starting out with a shameless plug, plug, pardon me, go binge the podcast, Tom, the trainer fitness, um, because there will be this as well as so many more, you know, valuable answers to things that people are asking. And you got to consider like if other people are asking these questions, it's probably a likelihood that you want to know these things as well. And they could have come up in a previous live or a previous episode. And that's part of the reason why I do this as well, right? Is not everybody thinks like an award-winning coach. And sometimes as a coach, you can kind of feel as though this stuff becomes second nature uh, or maybe is common knowledge. So this is a way to connect with my audience and answer the things that they're thinking about. Right. And if they're thinking about it and it's not you who asked the question, um, you've probably been wondering some of these questions in the past. So anyways, how do I correct a muscle imbalance between my left and right bicep? So it really depends on where the muscle imbalance is coming from. So say for example, Um, I have a muscle, my whole right and left side are kind of imbalanced. Like if you were to look at my biceps, my biceps are the same size as I've measured them, but they look different. I suffered a nerve injury in my neck. That is something that I kind of constantly am always dealing with. And because of that, some of the nerve damage has created compensations in areas. Um, Because your your bicep attaches well your bicep doesn't attach to your shoulder but your tricep attaches to your shoulder and they're antagonist muscles so meaning like they work opposite right but what that means is in simple terms is your shoulder function will affect bicep development okay um so the simplest way all that aside to correcting a muscle imbalance between left and right bicep is to really prioritize dumbbell work or dumbbell or machine work. Pardon me. That is like not like the, the machine's not connected. Right. So say for example, like a Smith machine is a machine, but probably not a great exercise selection to correct an imbalance on say like an overhead press. If you were, or if you were correcting like a shoulder imbalance, So with any muscle, prioritizing dumbbell work over barbell work um, and prioritizing machine work that 
the limbs are working like without the support of the other, right? There's no like closed connection of a barbell or the machine isn't on levers, even though there's two handles, but all works and moves as one unit, right? Um, and then the best way to look at that imbalance to really hone in on an imbalance would to be, would be to do single arm work as well. Like really nail down and focus on each arm or limb that you're trying to focus on. Start out with the weakest first or the smallest, I guess you would say. Um, not that, not that a smaller muscle is always weaker. I won't get into the weeds here, but often it is. And then like really isolate in on that muscle. Okay. So you want to take out any muscles that may contribute to the lift. So for example, on biceps specifically, I'm a big believer in training biceps with like an open armpit, like loose shoulders, open armpit, arm is kind of hanging and then working in a very direct angle to the bicep itself. Okay. I wish that there was more of a view right now. I'm going to try to get on my tippy toes, but so for example, if I were like this, you could kind of lean to one side and then come up in a very direct line. It's a horrible demonstration just because of the camera angle, but you want to lock down and nail down that specific muscle that you're trying to bring up. Try to bring out other, try to bring out, bring, bleh, bring out any other muscles that may contribute to that lift. Okay. So like, for example, your shoulder can play a role in how much the bicep is contributing to an exercise based upon shoulder movement and humorous movement of the upper arm. Right. So you want to try to limit that. And then like the other thing that I would say is try to lock down in a, in a way where you can be stable. So say for example, if you're doing a single arm bicep curl and you're standing take a bench and put it on an incline and put it in front of you and then set yourself up on a base and you can kind of lock in and lock down on that bench, lock down in your feet and then open up the armpit and then swing the bicep in a really direct line with the fibers of the bicep itself. So you're, so you're really, really nailing down that muscle and nothing else is contributing. Now, it could be as well, maybe your bicep doesn't look the same as the other, but maybe it's because one bicep has a more developed peak than the other. Well, then you could get into developing and focusing in on the peak of the bicep itself by protracting the shoulder, okay? So... The tricep attaches to the shoulder blade. The bicep is antagonist to the tricep itself. The, the tricep plays a role in stabilizing the shoulder blade in retraction when you're squeezing your shoulders back and down away from your chest. 
Therefore, if you truly want to contract every muscle fiber of the bicep, especially the peak, then you need to do the opposite of that, opposite of that with your shoulder positioning, right? To develop the peak. Um, and I think another thing to focus on as well with bicep development itself, make sure that you're using a supinated grip. So like a palm up grip, but then also a hammer grip, right? Or like a pistol grip. Okay. Um, because maybe, maybe your bicep looks as though it's smaller on one side than the other. But I don't know, maybe it's because your brachia, your brachialis is more developed on one side than the other. So you want to try to bring up that muscle by hitting it from like different angles. Okay. But the other thing that I'll point out here is as well is like, don't do, and pardon my French, like don't do like sh silly shit where like, you're like, I'm going to do a really wide grip barbell curl. Right. Cause I want to hit the inner portion of my bicep. Okay. Well, yeah, it sort of does that. However, like you're wrenching on your elbows. So you're creating torque on the elbow joint when you do that. So don't, don't do that. Um, and if you want to work on, and if you want to work on the inner portion of your bicep, right. Then really open up wide, open up wide, come up in a, in a more straight angle with some width, right? Because the, I'm not a big fan of overly rotating at the elbow joint at all, period. But obviously like the rotational demand and the impact that that's going to have on your elbow is less with a free moving dumbbell than it is with a barbell that's all locked in place, if that makes sense, okay? So if it's a muscle that you're working on, isolate that muscle, work one arm at a time, work that muscle till it's failure. And when you train the other muscle or the other side, right? The other bicep, then like only match what happened and what you did on your weak side. Okay. Always start with the weak side first and match that work with the stronger side so that hopefully over time the weak side catches up. I'm also not a big fan of like, just do extra work on like the one side. I've never been a fan of that. Um, so I would say those are some things to focus on. And then another thing to focus on as well is, is like what's happening at your shoulder joint. And is there a muscular imbalance because your shoulder function isn't right and therefore your shoulder function is affecting those movements of the bicep curls, right? Maybe one shoulder is a little more internally rotated and therefore you're always pronating or protracting a little bit when you bicep curl and therefore you're going to get a harder contraction on that side because you're removing the shoulder out of it and you're putting that arm in a position that's more biased to hit the, the bicep better. So it's working harder than the other side. Cause maybe the other side shoulder function is better, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe the shoulder function on that side of the bicep isn't great. And that's, what's contributing to the imbalance. 
So I know it's a really roundabout answer, but those are the things that you would look at. And then obviously if your shoulder health isn't well, which you can normally see on a back photo, you can see how your shoulder blades are sitting on a back photo, like a shirtless back photo. And if you see a difference in your shoulder positioning from one side to the other, maybe one shoulder's elevated, maybe one shoulder's lifting, maybe it's just sitting higher, right? Then you know that that's probably some of the issue as well. And that's like a, that's a whole nother training. Uh, but those are some things that you could focus on. Uh, and there isn't, there is more of this specific topic in other podcast episodes. Was that super, super helpful, everybody? Want to make sure it was super helpful. I try to keep things as simple as possible in the way that I explain them. Um, I used to be like very, like I would be very technical in the way that I explain things um, because I like am passionate about what I do. Um, and, but then I would find like back in the day when I was like training at good life and stuff is like, I'd be really super technical a bit the way I was explaining things to people. And I would look at my clients after I explained it, like in a really technical manner. And I would just see like a haze in their eyes and I would be like, okay, they don't understand what you're talking about. Right. Um, so I try to keep it really, really simple and not overly technical, but in terms of which are easy to understand. Did that make sense? Everybody and was helpful. Okay. So hopping over here one sec. Okay, so next question. Anybody on IG, I'm going to get to those questions. Uh, Jake is asking, what's the best way to get into a calorie deficit? So Jake, the best way to get into a calorie deficit, like the simplest way to get into a calorie deficit is going to come through tracking food. There's a couple of ways of which you could do it. The simplest way to do it is track what you're eating right now and track your weight. And if you track what you're eating and you track your weight and you know how many calories you're eating, and even if they're not exactly the same every single day, you can average them out over the course of a week. And you can do that for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. Find out what your caloric intake is at. Are you holding weight or are you gaining weight? If you're holding weight, then I don't know, pull like maybe maybe 10% of your calories out, um, two, 300 calories out per se, then you'll be in a calorie deficit. The other thing that you could do is, is you could, if you're holding weight, when you've established that baseline and you're not like gaining any weight, but you're not losing any weight, then you could increase your activity because your activity levels are going to burn more calories. Um, you could do both. You could find out what your baseline is. And you could decrease calories more slightly and increase activity. Okay. And then the other thing that you could do is, is like, you could just like start from scratch with an educated guess as to what to set your calories at, set those calories, track that, and then adjust. For me personally, with my clients, I like to set their calories depending, like everything is dependent on the individual, but a pretty generally good place to start if you're not having a cheat meal regularly would be at around 12 calories per pound. 
that's a good place to start for a lot of people. But if you're, if you have a lot of body fat, then maybe it needs to be lower. If you're introducing, I prefer introducing a weekly refeed day where your calories are at above, like slightly above maintenance that one day per week. And then your calories throughout the other days of the week are lower. And I like to often set that number at 10 calories per pound of body weight. But again, it's really dependent on the individual, right? Like gender plays a factor. Okay. Overall body weight plays a factor. Body fat percentage plays a factor. Okay. Gender plays a factor because generally women carry less muscle mass than men, right? Men have more testosterone. Men generally have more muscle mass. Therefore, they're going to burn more calories through the energy that that muscle mass is burning rather than somebody of a higher body fat percentage, right? So like if you look at like healthy body weight for men and women, men generally, a healthy body weight for men is going to be leaner than a healthy body weight for a woman. So that's like a, that's like a good like general statement of where to set your calories, but it's not exact. Okay. Um, and then it really, it all comes down to like tracking, 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 tracking. So, um, and then, and then literally playing one of those factors, like moving one of those needles based upon what the data is telling you. Right. So you could set your calories up. The other thing I'll say as well, actually, if you're setting your calories and you're starting from fresh, like don't pay much attention to the first week. Because if your glycogen levels are low because you haven't been eating enough carbohydrates and you started a new diet where your carbohydrate levels are higher, you're going to gain some water weight. You're going to gain some glycogen weight within the muscles, right? So don't look at that first week as like, oh my God, I got to lower my calories because I gained weight. Like, no, let the first week chill. Another thing is, is like maybe your diet hasn't been overly clean. So you set your calories up and you get a big, huge drop on the first week. Well, some of that's going to be water weight, right? So don't overreact to your first week. Give it a little bit of time, at least two weeks. Okay. Uh, and then maybe sometimes your body weight's just going to hold in the first week. Again, don't worry about it. Like don't overreact to the first week, run another week of what you're doing before you look at making any changes. And then you just make to me, it's about establishing a baseline, seeing what that baseline is doing, whether you're establishing that baseline by monitoring what you're already doing or resetting with a new approach. You have to establish that baseline. You have to look at the data of what's happening. And then when you make modifications to move more or eat less, and I hate that term just because like, I can't tell you the number of like trolls that I've had come up on my account in the last like number of years who were just like, no, man, you just got to be in a calorie deficit. You just, it's just that simple. Like none of this other stuff matters, but like all the, all these things, what's your training look like? What's your, uh, sleep like, right? What's your step count like, right? What's your caloric intake? Like all contribute to your caloric deficit. You don't have to get super complicated on it all, but you got to establish the baseline and then make modifications from there. And when you make a modification from there, don't be crazy and excessive. And if you're losing weight, 
don't change anything. Like, don't change anything if what you're doing is working. Because all you're going to do is put yourself in such a hole where you get to a point where you're like, I am starving and I'm doing so much cardio and I'm doing all this stuff. And I feel like it's unsustainable because I'd made my changes too fast. I made my changes too aggressively and I made my changes too soon. So don't do that. Okay. Is that helpful? Everybody drop some helpful in the chat. Next question here. So next question is for Aaron. Aaron's asking about like knees over toes training. And this is something that like, depending on how much time you spend on social media, you'll see a lot um, from a guy. I feel like his name is Aaron. I think I could be wrong. His handles, the knees over toes guy. Okay. So in, in my opinion, it's perfectly acceptable and healthy for your knees to travel over your toes in training. Now, if you're referring to excessive forward knee travel, that's something that you got to build tolerance up to, right? Because like you don't want to get injured and there's like forces, shear forces, right? On the knee joint as it travels beyond your center of mass where the load of, of your body weight or the load of whatever exercise that you're choosing to get in that position with is going to be away from like the load's going to be in that position because it's away from your, it's away from your baseline because you're creating a moment arm. Okay. So a moment arm is essentially a way to look at, the axis point of an exercise or axis point of a joint and then the distance that is between the axis point and the joint that you're training okay or joints that you're training or specific joint that you're focusing on so say for example in a squat there's a lot of joints going on there right and there's a moment arm from your center of mass due to where the bar is on your back to your hip and there's a moment arm from your center of mass to where your knee is and the distance as it increases increases the demand for tissue tolerance with that distance okay so it's it's fine in my opinion to go knees over toes or have forward knee travel but you have to like, not all, not all advice applies to everybody, right? Maybe you're coming back from a knee injury and you know, you don't have much tolerance for your knee traveling beyond your toe very much. So then it shouldn't travel beyond your toe very much. And generally a good rehab protocol is to increase the demand or maybe increase the distance slowly over time to to you know bulletproof which is i think is a term that the knees over toes guys use uses to bulletproof that joint okay you have to you have to apply demand to it you have to apply enough demand 
that the tissue needs to, that the tissue wants to respond to that demand and become stronger and more tolerable, but you don't want to push the limit to the point where like that tissue, you exceeded the tissue tolerance and now you have an injury. So it's something that like, if it were me doing it personally, I would be slowly over time, gradually increasing the distance that I'm trying to get my forward knee travel to accomplish in the exercises that I'm doing. Okay. And then like, there's also just like what's in a sense, there's also like, what's the point of that? Right. So say for me personally, I would never do crazy knee over toe loaded exercises because I don't need my knees to be able to tolerate that moment arm that I'm creating because there's no ever a time in my life where that moment arm is going to be created and I'm at a risk of injury, right? So how far do you need to take it? Well, it depends. Why are you doing it? Are you going to be in those positions for some reason that you're going to need that tissue tolerance in that joint? Then rehab protocol or prehab protocol is establishing a baseline of what is tolerable and then slowly and intelligently over time pushing that baseline without creating pain or injury and walking the line and being patient to increase the tolerance of that tissue over time. So there's another podcast episode that I did, how I deal with injuries in my training. That'll give you a little bit more context to like what I'm talking about here. And it is episode number, I probably can't even find it quickly. It was recent. Just look up the Tom the Trainer Fitness Podcast, how I deal with, how I deal with uh, injuries in my training. Uh, it was a bit ago. Episode number 13. And right now we're sitting at episode at the time of recording this, there's 33 episodes and 31, uh, episodes that have dropped. So towards midway through the list, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it in the podcast a year from now, then it's probably further back. Right. Uh, so I hope that was helpful. Aaron, and I kind of hope that that makes sense. It's really all about understanding is like, what can you tolerate? Knees over toe training, not against it. Is it for you as an individual? Are you dealing with an injury? Are you trying to increase tolerance? Make sure that you're intelligent about the way that you do it, right? But there's that whole like myth where everybody's like, I don't know, the, the old football coach that would tell all those football players like never never let your knees go over your toes when squatting um it's dependent on the demand it's dependent on the load right i don't think your knee should travel way over your toes if you're like going for a max pr squat you're probably better off to be loading the hips as an example in that situation but it doesn't mean that your joints don't tolerate it but be mindful of like, will your joints tolerate it? What's your joint health in that, in that joint, right? Um, all right. So I don't see too many other comments on here. Everybody finding this useful right now? 
last question on Facebook before I get over onto Instagram. And again, if you're tuning in on this and have to peace out, the replay of this will drop in a couple of weeks on the podcast as well. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, obviously I'm talking to the people watching it live. Um, Shauna, what are the best exercises for a woman's chest? So to me, the best exercise for a chest, regardless of gender, um, are going to be like, it's all dependent on the goal. Um, but like just all the exercises that I prescribe for chest are going to be, I'm a really big fan of dumbbells for chest development. Bench press is a great exercise that works your chest, but I don't categorize it as a chest exercise. I categorize it as an upper body exercise because your shoulders, your triceps, your lats are engaged. Your upper back is engaged. Um, But for pure development of the chest, I'm a really big fan of dumbbells. I'm a really big fan of cable work as well. Cable presses. I'm a really big fan of um, cable flies, especially. Like I will rarely do a chest fly nowadays with a set of dumbbells because to me, it just doesn't make sense based on the resistance profile of the exercise. And the resistance profile is like where the challenge lives at what varying degree of challenge throughout ranges of the exercises. Um, And in a dumbbell, fly for example there's a lot of challenge in the bottom of the exercise where the pecs are weakest and then once you get to about halfway through the exercise the resistance profile based on the strength curve of the muscle because the muscle starts to get stronger mid-range starts to in my opinion propose diminishing returns right so i'm big on cables for flies and then also machines <clears throat> like, like I want to get a pec deck machine for the studio. I've just held off getting it. Um, but like pec deck machine is really great flies. Um, other chest fly machines, chest press machines. Those are all great. I think the biggest thing when it comes to developing your chest is focusing on the execution of your form. And I like a little tip is like when I'm, working a chest exercise i start i don't start the chest exercise by thinking about breaking at the elbows i start that chest exercise by thinking about squeezing shoulder blades together and expanding rib cage and then my elbows break unless it's a fly then you probably don't need to break at the elbows much because your elbow positioning stays stays pretty consistent throughout the whole range of the exercise so the best chest chest exercises for a women's chest are really just going to be any chest exercise for any gender, Shauna, uh, male or female. And obviously it depends on your equipment that's available, right? Like if you're training at home and you don't have any equipment, then the best exercise is going to be push-up. If you're training at home and all you have is a barbell bench, then obviously that's your best because that's what you have available. If you're training at home and you got dumbbells, but you don't have a cable, then obviously dumbbells are the best because you don't have a cable, right? But in a perfect world, walking into a gym, big fan of dumbbells and cables. All right. Okay, so I got to see if we got a few more questions here. 
Lucky is expressing his appreciation for me. <laughs> Thanks, Lucky. Um, somebody's asking, what does more reps per set do for the muscle? Well, more reps per set, like... more repetitions are probably going to tax more of your slow twitch fibers until those fibers gas out, then your fast twitch fibers will kick in. But like basically as a rule of thumb, if you're trying to increase endurance on a muscle, higher repetitions are better. Hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is like whether you work in a five to or a 30 rep range, as long as you're like, in close proximity of failure, they're both going to, they're all going to do well for um, building muscle. However, the eight to 12 rep range, in my opinion, is the sweet spot is a sweet spot. Why? Because it's heavy enough to really tax the muscle. It's heavy enough that if you tax the muscle, it's at a nice load where it's like, you're not taxing the muscle because like it's burning like crazy through metabolic stress it's a nice mix of trying to hit both the fat, both the, both of the fast twitch and the slow twitch muscle fibers. And it's not so heavy that you're going to have to take time off of training because you're always training extremely heavy and your joints are feeling like garbage. Right. But as a rule of thumb, they say it's like 15 reps and above for endurance, eight to 12 for hypertrophy, ideally and five or less for strength. Um, I think that is it. Uh, and Nick is just saying like, um, definitely isn't all that simple. And I think he was talking about, uh, just, you know, getting a calorie deficit, right? Um, it's not as simple as like move less, eat more. Sorry. <laughs> the opposite of that move more and eat less. That'd be the worst advice I ever give. How do I get in the calorie deficit? Ah, uh, just eat more and move less. And then, and then I don't know, uh, maybe call me cause you'll need some help. So anyways, disregard that slip of the tongue. Right. Um, all right. I think that's everything. I don't see any more comments. Uh, hope everybody really enjoyed this. I really enjoy this. If you're listening to this in the podcast, make sure that you check the link in the description to Tom, the trainer's tribe, come get your questions answered. And then also anybody listening to this well in the podcast or not, make sure that you check out the episode coming out January 25th on your priorities for building a, a diet to have a big transformation. Okay. Um, Anybody who wants one-to-one personal help, personal coaching help, you can always message me. Message me on Instagram, the word coaching. If you're watching this on Facebook, my Instagram handle is Tom the Trainer Fitness. Message me the word coaching. And if you're watching this and listening to this on Facebook and you want some one-to-one help getting to your fitness goals, having a big transformation, just message me the word coaching on Facebook to Tom Trainer, And the links will be in the description of this episode as well. All right, everybody, really appreciate all the questions. I love doing these lives. Hope you have the best day ever. Peace out. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you found today's episode valuable, please give me a five-star review and share it on your social media so I can have an even bigger impact. And if you want more information on how I can help you lose 15 to 52 pounds of body fat in 12 weeks, send me a message that says coaching to my Instagram at TomTheTrainerFitness.